from Social Service Sanashi, I'm Jingyao. One year ago, we documented community initiatives and discussed structural challenges related to the COVID-19 pandemic in Singapore. One year later, we are inviting the same guests back to talk about their work, how they are feeling, and what they think we have learned or have yet to learn from the pandemic. Last year, Israel Yong started a spreadsheet to collate opportunities for students looking for summer internships. He asked about what he's learned from the initiative and how he's applied those lessons in his life. So at the height of the circuit breaker last year, right, you, and we spoke, I think, in, in April last year, you started a spreadsheet to collate opportunities for students who are looking for summer internships. You know, you're talking about people who are coming back, who were called back by MOE. It feels like an eternity ago, but that was last year. And maybe to start, uh, could you just remind us how you got started on that initiative and an estimate of how many individuals or folks eventually or ultimately benefited from that spreadsheet? Yeah, um, so maybe a bit of background to that and maybe a bit of background to my life also. I think I've been very fortunate to have mentors and opportunities along the way. I mean, just being in your and years college in itself is a huge privilege, which gives me like information and opportunities that I think many other university students might not have. And I think that spirit of like paying it forward and helping others whenever possible or was really something that motivated me to do that spreadsheet. But, you know, even though it eventually like became somewhat of a large thing and got featured by Straits Times and all that, um, when it first started out, it really started out with the intention of just helping a few friends at a more, um, in a more scalable manner. So maybe I'll just like give you a sense of what it was like. At, at the start, it was really just me on Telegram talking to a few friends and talking to a few seniors, sending them things. UNES has an internal Facebook group, so we post like, opportunities, whether it's um, our ex-bosses or alumni who have job openings in their companies, right? And over time, I was like, okay, this is so inefficient to like manually post one by one. So I, I just decided to like, okay, let me just like put everything on a spreadsheet and I'll just send that spreadsheet around for different people to fill it in and people can see it in real time, right? Because I think the Facebook fatigue was also like getting a bit real at that time. And over time, some people like picked it up, like people outside of US, and they asked if I could share it. And I was like, yeah, there shouldn't be any reason why we shouldn't be sharing it, right? So I shared it with like other people. And I think the, uh, the next question that popped up in my head was, okay, now I'm getting, I'm also getting a lot of people who want to contribute to the spreadsheet. And at the same time, I don't want people, you know, malicious people, Kiasu Singaporeans to go in and delete everything, right? So I, I was like, okay, how do I automate this? So I created that front end um, Google Forms to, for people to fill in things and then it will be uploaded into that database like immediately. So those two sheets started making its rounds on Facebook, LinkedIn, WhatsApp. It's really crazy how you know, things can go incredibly like viral on WhatsApp. My first point of distribution was a WhatsApp community group run by Lee Chen from Jekyll and Hyde. So Jekyll and Hyde, Techaholics, about like 200 people. And then, you know, like towards the end of the summer, my friends in the US and UK were like, oh, I saw your spreadsheet. And I was like, okay, I, I can see how this information spreads through social media and WhatsApp. <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess to answer your question on like, you know, how many people it benefited in the end, and maybe you can talk about this more a bit later. I think one of the regrets I had was that I didn't really track who was using it. I had a sense of which employers were posting things, but I didn't track like which students were using it. And so I didn't have a good sense of the number of students who viewed it, used it, etc. And I would say, you know, just to give a very conservative estimate, maybe about two, three hundred based on the number of listings there, which was about two, three hundred as well. 
But is it accurate to say that this was very much a one-man show? Like you were the only one fronting that front end and then manually converting it into spreadsheet entries. Is that, was that the, the setup? Yeah. So like I basically asked my friend, how do I, you know, link things to from Google Forms to spreadsheet in a most efficient way? And he told me how to set it up. And, you know, when I have problems, I go to him. But it was a very low-tech solution. It wasn't very complicated, even though it was like, Maybe to some people, it seemed pretty extensive. It was really just Google Forms and Google Sheets and maybe a bit of macros here and there. So it wasn't that hard to pull off, technically speaking. And then there was a lot of like inbox emails coming in from people who are like having trouble listing. And some government agencies and companies wanted to list like 20 things at once. And I was like, okay, sure, I'll help you do that on the back end rather than you like inputting the form like 20 times. At what point did you say, you know, since you were doing it by yourself, what, at what point did you say the initiative had, had run its course or, or did the thought ever come to mind that having run its course, this was something you wanted to come back to or revive in another form that, that maybe not a spreadsheet. So when did it run its course and then have you ever thought about um, reviving it in one form or another? Yeah. So, I mean, at that point I was like, wow, this could be a really good startup idea, right? Could create like a job spot or, you know, one of those HR tech startups helping interns find opportunities and all that. But, you know, I asked myself, frankly, one, do I have that bandwidth to like, you know, go into building a startup and two, whether I had that technical expertise and three, whether I knew whether this was something students needed, especially when internships were sort of like a seasonal thing. It's more summer. And also because, you know, there's already so many job boards and so many other people who are already doing similar things like that. So I didn't have that confidence to say, okay, there was a clear need. There was a clear gap in the market. I mean, I could start it, but, you know, I don't think I would have made a very good, very big difference in, in that space. So I decided against it in the end. And I think around July, August, the, the sort of like side traction has started to dip. And I was like, um, okay, yeah, you know, I, I don't have to really like close down the site or to send emails to everyone to say that, you know, it's um, showtime is over. So it just naturally, you know, fell, fell off cliff and, and, and ended there. This year, actually, like people did ask me whether I wanted to start something similar to that. And, you know, we can, I think my answer to that was actually no. I thought a bit about it, right? Like what was the initial impetus for that spreadsheet last year? And um, there were a few impetus for it. Well, definitely one, it's, there was a clear need in terms of how existing listings on job boards, internship sites were outdated at that point in time because companies were suddenly freezing hiring, right? Economic uncertainty suddenly peaked. Um, a lot of job boards then became like inaccurate and irrelevant. And then you couple that with, you know, a lot of students suddenly unemployed for the summer and they're like, okay, what do I do? You wanted something that was a, a quick stopgap measure. I didn't see the same sort of conditions this year. And in fact, I think the economy has picked up quite a fair bit. I see quite a lot of um, companies hiring interns. And the National Youth Council has launched their own internship program in partnership with like, different youth and social organizations, or, which has quite a number of listings actually, and quite meaningful ones as well. So I didn't see that need to do so. But what I've, did, what I've done instead, and you know, actually, it was something that started when me and my friend got a bit bored in our economics class. We started this Telegram channel called Intern First because a lot of the internship Telegram channels or job boards, you know, it's a free-for-all, right? Any company can post anything. Um, but that creates a lot of noise. And we wanted to help students to passively find interesting companies, interesting internships, rather than just wait till the summer and then they're like, shit, I have to cram for my 
internship applications, just like how I cram for my exams, and that also coincides with people's finals exams and can be an incredibly stressful period. So that intern that, that internship channel has grown to about eight hundred. It's very small. Happy to share the link later, and you know whoever's listening to your show can check it out if it's useful useful for them as well. And we'll do that. And uh, I guess it's a pretty good segue to another curiosity I had, which is, you know, how you, you spoke about that, that new Telegram channel, but in, were, were there other ways in which your experience from working on that spreadsheet informed either your current work or volunteerism or have you, what, what surprised you the most when working on that spreadsheet that you've taken with you since then? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, last year when I launched that spreadsheet, um, I suddenly had government agencies like emailing me and, inviting me to like meetings about internships and jobs about youth. And I was like, well, I think I'm launching a very simple tech solution. You have more resources and you, pro- you probably should also be looking at policy levers to, you know, support the youth and unemployment landscape, right? So I was like, okay, I, I'm not that relevant to that conversation, but it was interesting to hear what they were thinking about and how they thought tech could be one of the ways to, you know, um, assuage the, the situation back then. Yeah, and I think that also ties in with my, my work at Access, right? Like, I think it's also to be clear with clear about when do you need government support to run your programs? When is, when is it good to partner with the, the government? And do you really need to partner with the government on certain initiatives? Because while there are clear upsides, you know, you, you, get, you probably get a lot more traction when the government says, XYZ school, please work with organization XYZ. But the downside is also, you know, there's a lot more scrutiny. Um, there's a lot more like barriers to jump through. And depending on the nature of your outfit, if it's a volunteer-run nonprofit, your volunteers might not want to deal with a lot of bureaucracy. They might want to, you know, like run solutions very quickly and, and test programs very quickly in the community, right? So that context also matters. But I think that spreadsheet was a good introduction to like what a lot of people were doing in the tech and startup scene. And actually I was like, quite surprised, you know, as I spoke to more people in the tech and startup scene, a lot of them have roots in social impact, right? Like the founder of Conjunct Consulting, Jeremy Au, after he left Conjunct, he founded his own startup in New York, and then now he's a venture capitalist. Another person, Sean Lowe, started a mental health peer-to-peer like uh, social enterprise back in, I think, junior college or after junior college. And he founded a fintech unicorn in, the New, in New York as well. Now he's also a venture capitalist. So many more examples of this sort of people who started in social impact and then decided to pivot into technology. And I guess in some sense, when I, I talk to them, I think the underlying reason is really with technology, you can scale a lot of your impact. And I think that's something we are also seeing in the last one year, a lot of grown up initiatives. I think maybe also because of circumstances, right? Adopting a digital first approach. But the upside to that is, you know, you, you have scale from day one already rather than focusing on like maybe more laborious um, solutions or program designs. But I mean, there's also downsides to, to technology, which we can explore later if you like. No, I, I think those are two really important points, right? The first being, how do you negotiate that relationship uh, or with the government, right? That's one that, that you know, groups have to think about. I think the second one, which you're touching on is the classic extant literature debate about the balance between online and offline engagement and whether the relationship is one way or whether it's, of course, it's reciprocal, but how do you foster engagement in both directions, right? So that's something that's no definite answer, but but it's interesting they tapped on those two things. And I guess in thinking about that as well, I guess my final two questions, we can take them together, right? So 
in looking back retrospectively of that one year since the spreadsheet itself, how has it been for you personally? Like, so how's the pandemic been for you personally? And second, I guess, how has it informed or how have your involvement been um, in, in other initiatives and social empowerment initiatives been shaped by the pandemic? Yeah, I think the pandemic has been a point of um, recalibration. Frankly speaking, I think a lot of more time was spent before COVID running Access, which is really the nonprofit that uh, me and a few other friends uh, embarked on two years back. We support disadvantaged students in the neighborhood secondary schools in their career exploration efforts in small ways. And, and you know, really it's about helping them to see other pathways that they are currently exposed to and hopefully inspire them towards you know, embarking on their dream careers or reconsidering like what did, what do they really feel passionate about and hopefully that also translates to you know intrinsic motivation academically because um, I think for many of us a lot of the the motivation we had in school came after we sort of had some form of aspiration that we wanted to work towards otherwise it would feel very empty right um so the pandemic has sort of recalibrated how much time I spent on access and in part because, you know, we couldn't run a lot of programs during the pandemic. Uh, we chose to sit it out. Other groups were doing amazing work running virtual programs and they were a lot more equipped than we were to run virtual programs. And I think, you know, Advisory, for instance, has done a lot of amazing work in that, in that front with their mentorship programs. I think in terms of my personal like, journey in college, I really wanted to travel a lot more. Um, as someone who's born and raised in Singapore, I think that, yes, that there are a lot of problems in society, but you also hear how Singaporeans who spend time overseas, you know, their, their, their perspectives on issues sort of broaden. They see like broader issues in the world, right? Like climate change um, was a lot more prominent and, and uh, people in the West were talking a lot more about it before um, it gained traction locally. And I think in some sense, as a small country, inevitably, a lot of things will, will, will sort of um, be inspired of or will come to know of from the outside in. But there's also some things which are inside out, right? Things like social inequality, race and religion. Those are highly um, hyper-local issues, um, even though there are similar trends elsewhere. So I think what COVID has also given me the opportunity to is to connect with a lot more peers from other countries. I mean, one year ago, it was unthinkable that you would you know, message someone on LinkedIn and say, hey, like super cool work you're doing in you know, the, the social inequality or career empowerment space in the US, like, could, could I find out more? And then they'll send you a calendar link and then, you know, you find a very, you find a time to chat in a very fast, free, efficient manner. That's so common these days. Like, I'm just, I think in the last two weeks, I've spoken to at least 20 people in the US, UK and, and other parts of Southeast Asia to understand, like, what's happening in different countries, what they're working on in terms of startups and the technology space in general. And I think, those sort of relationships will strengthen and be very helpful as travel starts to pick up. Because in the past, you could go to the US and you'd be like, oh, how do I you know, hang out with more local people and, and understand what's going on here, right? But now you already have friends who can quickly introduce you to different communities um, and who give you a, a quick crash course on what's happening you know, in different places. So I think that has been like personally very, very helpful. There's also sort of like a lot more opportunities. Um, I've started to look more um, in terms of abroad, in terms of, you know, what are the things other people are doing elsewhere in the education front. There's this really cool digital fellowship called OnDAC, which started really as a way for, you know, different people in tech to come together, learn from more experienced mentors, find community of peers and to build it out. 
they started last year and now they have like more than 20 different programs running every quarter. So it's quite crazy the amount of like people they're picking up. And, you know, even these days they, they talk about like where can people build like the new Silicon Valleys, right? Well, with digital communities on the cloud. So I think really the pandemic has really opened my eyes in a different way, in a different manner than I expected it to during my college days. And I think I'm grateful for that as much as I lament um, being unable to travel as much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I resonate with that. I'm pretty sure when the borders open up, you have very meaningful and very productive meetings and uh, encounters abroad. So I'm pretty sure that will happen for you. And thank you for the thoughtful sharing and reflecting on the past year. You know, I'm glad you've continued your work in different ways, not necessarily the spreadsheet, but in different ways. And I uh, wish you the best in whatever you're working on in the future. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks so much, Xingyao. Like, and thank you for the work you're doing in you know, sharing st- stories of people in the social sector and trying to make Singapore a better place. That's too high a phrase. And I, <laughs> I, I, I do the easy way. So that's too high a phrase. I will not um, accept that. <laughs> thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm.